0: Being called to be a witness in court, that can make you a little anxious. I've been at many, many court cases for people that are just there to support them. And while I'm sitting there in the gallery, I feel like at any minute now I could be called up to the defense table or the witness stand. And that's a scary thought. Witnesses are often called to testify in court because they're needed when a witness is called forward. Attorneys believe their witness's word will help make or break the case. The defendant wants to be saved by the witness. The plaintiff wants the defendant to be convicted by the witness. The process seems a little ceremonious, a little procedural. The witness must show up the courtroom at the right time, preferably dressed in the right way. The witness must place one hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Then the questions come in rapid fire succession. The witness tries to carefully remember all the details, knowing every word spoken will be analyzed, will be torn apart. Even the witness's mannerisms can be torn apart. Are you nervous? Why did you say what you did say? Why didn't you say what you didn't say? Did you leave anything out? Did you avoid anything? Are you trying to cover up anything? The witness might sit there in the witness chair with their mind racing, realizing their words will forever change somebody's life. Being a witness for God should not produce that same level of anxiety. It should be treated with the same level of seriousness, though. We can see many similarities to faith, just as in a courtroom, a witness for God is expected to act and dress a certain way. If not, their character could be called into question. A good witness must have an answer ready. It would be foolish for them to arrive unprepared. The witness must be just as careful about what they say as what they do not say. What the witness doesn't say is almost as important as what they do say. A good witness doesn't add to or take away from the truth. They tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But a major difference between being a witness for God and being a witness in court is the empowerment that comes from the infilling of God's Spirit. Jesus himself prophesied, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Acts 1 verse 8. Don't be anxious about being a witness. God has already granted every spirit-filled, spirit-led believer the power necessary to be an effective witness. Let's just simply take the stand and testify to what we have seen and heard. And we're going to hear more about being a witness right after this. Welcome back, God's Word for Life listeners. So glad you're with me on this wonderful God's Word for Life podcast episode. We're taking a look at a series called The Life God Blesses, and it's based primarily on the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we're in Matthew 5, verse 16, where Jesus said to a whole lot of mountainside congregants, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And our episode is entitled, The Mission of a Disciple. Now, Jesus often used analogies and anecdotes and stories that helped his listeners better understand what he was teaching. Many people may not understand the contents of a scholarly theology textbook. I don't, and I've got a theology degree, (laughs) but most people use salt. Some even put salt on watermelon. Who does that? And most people will understand and appreciate the value of light. So Jesus latched onto these metaphors and he used them so we could understand what he was teaching because they describe the nature of the mission of every Christian witness, salt and light. If you've ever cooked for other people, something like this might've happened. While you're in the kitchen, diligently cutting vegetables, organizing seasoning, checking timers, some rogue self-appointed taste testers, and you know who you are, you're out there. Walk in the kitchen, step toward the pot on the stovetop, and they take a spoon in hand. Who invited you? And while the aromas waft through the kitchen, the testers dip the spoon into the steel cooking meal and bring the portion to their mouth. And in perfectly on cue, they comment, hmm, needs a little salt. Well, Tasty Tasterton, why don't you strap on an apron and join me? Or maybe you do invite somebody into the kitchen, give them a taste test and say, hey, do you think this needs a little more salt? That's because everybody who cooks knows the value of salt. It is a potent ingredient by itself. You can tell if something has been oversalted. Oh, hello! But used in the right doses, the right proportion. Salt draws out flavors and lifts the taste of the entire dish. Jesus called us the salt of the earth. True Christians draw out the essence of who people are supposed to be. Like salt lifts and elevates the true flavor of a meal, Christians on God's mission help draw people out of the world and help them to see who God intended them, created them, designed them to be. All humanity was made in God's image, but unfortunately that image has been broken and abused and watered down by sin. But thank God, a salt-of-the-earth Christian can look past all that brokenness, draw out the image of God in that person, and help restore them to God's original design and intention. Some Christians may have lost their saltiness. (laughs) Some Christians are just a little too salty, but not in the right way. But Jesus did not mince words when he described those Christians. He called them, and I quote his words, not mine, his, good for nothing. Matthew 5, verse 13. Bringing us to our first question, while you reel in that description of somebody who's lost their saltiness, who in your life would you describe as a salt of the earth child of God? And how has this person's life helped bring flavor to yours? That is also our God's Word for Life question of the week. I'd like to hear from you. Head over to Facebook.com. You can find our God's Word for Life Facebook page. Keep in mind there are several God's Word for Life Facebook pages. Ours is Facebook.com slash God's Word for Life. No apostrophes, no spaces, just type it out. You should find it. And you should find that question there in the Facebook page. You'll also find the link in the show notes. Who in your life would you describe as a salt of the earth child of God? And how have that person's life helped bring flavor to yours? Okay, let's get out of the kitchen. Let's get on the road. Drivers who have taken a road trip with friends have experienced the frustration of a backseat driver in the car, and maybe you're that backseat driver, and yes, you know who you are. One person says, hey, let's take the highway, and another says, oh, no, man, I know a shortcut through the country. All the while, Gladys, the GPS lady, offers a route nobody wants to take. Traveling can be tough, especially when so many different locations look like everything else. But there are some places where there are notable landmarks that can make navigating a city a lot easier. If you go to Denver, Colorado, that's a great example of just such a city. And I was just there just a few weeks ago. The mountains are always to the west. If you don't know where you are, look up. If you see some really tall mountains, you're going to know. That's west. Go the other way. That's east. The flatlands are always to the east. And between those significant markers, you can know where you are. And if you know which direction you're going, you can know which direction you should go. Christians on mission should stand out from the world around us. A city on a hill is easily visible for miles around. Just like that, it should be obvious for Christians who we say we are what we are, then we should be what we say we are. But Christians should not just stand out for the sake of being different. We should stand out as a landmark for others to identify and orient themselves. When people are lost, they look for landmarks. The church exists in a world full of confused and lost souls, hoping for a solid landmark to look to. Let's live in a way that God's kingdom is readily visible from every angle and in our communities and in our lives, that people who are seeking direction can see us and say, I will follow them because they follow Christ. Now, obviously, some of us don't cook and maybe some of us don't even drive, but everybody can testify to the value of light. Even in the darkest hours of the night, even the cheapest pen lights can seem like a lifesaver. Now the flashlight built into our phones is always there to help light the way. Those are invaluable to parents who make midnight trips to check on the kids. Even the smallest light can cause a great effect. Lights shine brighter the darker the surroundings get. But for a light to be useful, it has to be able to shine. You can't cover it up. Place your hand over the front of the flashlight and you're back in darkness. As Christians, we exist in a world that seems to grow increasingly darker as we approach the soon coming of Jesus Christ for his church. And now we have an opportunity to shine brighter than ever. I get it. The world has gotten darker. The ideas, the thoughts, the theories have gotten so much darker. And yet, as God's people, we are called to shine even brighter in this darker world. And as we do, more people will gather around the light. Let's make sure our light is shining brightly for everybody to see, letting people know there is a more abundant way to live. God's word is compared to light. The psalmist said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Peter described the word of God as shining like light. The issue is definitely not with the light of the word of God. It's probably with the delivery system. That's us. We've been entrusted to shine the light of God, and sometimes we can get in the way and we can cast a shadow that makes it difficult for people to see the light of God's word and the light of God's love. We must, as true Christians, desire for God's light to shine through us and not be a distraction. Maybe that's why Jesus ended this analogy with the instruction to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, verse 16. We know we're being effective witnesses in the world when the people seeing our good works turn their hearts and their minds to glorify God, not us, God. When people see our good works and they praise us, we're doing these works for the wrong reason, the wrong motivation, and we're actually preventing them from reaching the true light of the world, that is Jesus. Here's a question. Who was a light to you when you were making your way toward Jesus? And to whom are you being a light? Our Christian faith must live in every area of our life for us to be effective. We can't expect to glorify God on Sundays only and still be an effective witness. We must ask God, seek God, and allow him to saturate every aspect of our lives to the point nothing is left out, nothing is neglected. No area of our life is left in darkness. That's why the Apostle Paul beseeched the Romans to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 12 verse 1. Nothing was more total and more final in the Old Testament than animal sacrifice. The bull of the sheep was slaughtered and burned, its entire body offered as worship to God. In a similar way as a living sacrifice, we must make regular trips to the altar to ensure every part of our lives is completely offered to God. Now, Each analogy Jesus mentioned, salt, city on the hill, light and darkness, they all describe the nature in which we are to be a witness for Jesus. Witnessing is more than an activity saved people do. It's not an Olympic sport where we fight each other to see who's the best witness. Witness is who we are. It's part of our genetic makeup. It's who we are in our DNA as a Christian. By definition, a witness tells the story of their experiences. And those who believe their witness are inherently called to action and persuaded to change their way of living, their way of thinking. We witness through evangelism, through inward and outward holiness and through the very image of God manifested in our daily lives. Here's an exercise for you. Share an example of a time you witnessed to somebody of the goodness of God in your life. We think of witnessing and evangelism as being close cousins. Evangelism is part of the great commission Jesus gave in which he commanded the disciples to go, to teach, and to baptize, Matthew 28, verse 19. We can't properly fulfill those commands without going. Being a witness is active. It's intentional. It's not a passive activity. We're not inviting people only to come and learn. We are commissioned to go and teach. In fact, one translation even implies Jesus was saying, as you go, let this be part of who you are. Let this be part of everyday life. As you go, be a witness, disciple, teach. A witness must be willing to teach. That doesn't have to be in the formal classroom. You don't have to have a a whiteboard, although I love whiteboards, but you don't have to have one to be a good witness or to be a good teacher. And you don't have to be a professional teacher. Witnesses must simply be willing to share their personal story, their personal testimony, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This intentional lifestyle evangelism produces souls entering the kingdom of God through the wonderful gift of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. A preacher once said Christians are to be insulated not isolated from the world. We'll never reach the world if we hide from it. And we certainly must be wise in knowing where to go. Like It wouldn't be wise for a Christian to just go to the nightclub every Friday night just to witness to the lost. But a witness can't remain quarantined from the world and expect to still be a faithful witness. Being in the world doesn't mean we should act like everybody in the world. There's a popular phrase, in the world not of it. And it's not explicitly found in the Bible. And I know some of you, that just absolutely blew your mind. But <laughs> it's not. You can search. It's not there. But the principle is absolutely in the Bible. Its origins are found in the words of Jesus when he prayed this. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through that truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. John 17, verses 15 through 18. I'm sorry, but Jesus never called us to remove ourselves from the world and move to Montana and just start a commune. Jesus called us to make a difference in our world, to be salt, to be light, to be a city set on a hill. Jesus calls us out of the world and calls us to be sanctified or to be made holy like him, but for his glory, not ours. That's his call to live a life like he lived, even if that means being separate from the ideals and the values of our world. And that includes a lot of areas, a lot of parts of our lives, the way we dress, the way we speak, our emotions, what we say, what we do when we get angry, even our thoughts. Our thoughts. God has called us to live holy in all of these areas, and the world around us will recognize the difference. So here's one more question. How can we live righteously without falling into the sin of self-righteousness? And that is a big one. Perhaps the most powerful witness we have available is the act of being progressively formed into the image of God. Paul prayed this, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 12. Jesus Christ is glorified in our lives when we are made more like him, and we are continually enveloped by his nature. We'll probably never be perfect this side of heaven. Only Jesus is and ever was perfect. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for perfection or for maturity. That's not of our own power, but through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And we are to ask God and cooperate with the work of His Spirit in our lives. Since we're filled with His Spirit, we should expect the power associated with being filled with the Spirit to empower us to be a witness. The image of Jesus Christ should be daily seen in our lives through the demonstration of the power of God. We should expect the supernatural to follow us just as it followed the first disciples everywhere they went. You might be surprised by how much God's glory can be reflected when God is allowed to saturate and fill every part of our lives. Let's allow God to be reflected in the way we speak, the way we dress, but also how we manage our money, how we make business decisions, how we raise our children, even, here we go, this is going to be tough, get ready, how we drive in traffic. How we respond when someone cuts us off or somebody sneaks in and steals that parking space that you have been waiting 37 minutes for, how do you react? Are we more like Jesus or are we more like us? This process of being formed into God's image is lifelong. It will never end until Jesus calls one of us or all of us home. It's only completed when we complete our course. We finish our race and we hear him say, well done. Until then, we're in class. We're in this process of self-examination, praying daily, asking God to mold us, transform us. Just as a patient potter works unruly clay, we're asking the potter to mold us and shape us into what he wants us to be. Last question. What areas of your life do you need to surrender to God for his glory? And how will you do just that? And now we wrap this up. Part of being a good witness in the courtroom is in the attitude and the demeanor of a witness. If you're flippant, you won't be taken seriously. But if you're arrogant, you'll lose credibility. A witness who only pleads the Fifth Amendment and refuses to speak, they're just seen as useless. The words of the witness won't be viewed in a vacuum, just like they were words on a page. But the lifestyle will be just as relevant as their words and their mannerisms could even cause true testimony to be considered false. Here's a good example of a bad witness. A true witness with a bad lifestyle was the demon-possessed woman who followed Paul and Silas. They were witnessing in Philippi, and the woman who was a soothsayer or a fortune teller followed them around yelling all the time, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which probably didn't have a British accent, but there you go. They show unto us the way of salvation, Acts 16, verse 17. And those words were true. They were the servants of the Most High God. They showed the way of salvation. Even though she was telling the truth about Paul and Silas, Paul had had it up to here. He would not have agreed with that modern marketing adage that all publicity is good publicity. He understood that her telling everybody who they were was going to mar their witness. He tolerated her antics for a while, but he had to be concerned that somebody who was filled with demons was their biggest marketing campaign. So he turned around to her, annoyed, the Bible says, and he cast the demons out of her. Her words were true, but her lifestyle was not. And the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ could have been hidden because people could not believe what she was saying because the life she lived. Let's be careful not to be guilty of speaking truth, but living a lie. Jesus warned his disciples about the scribes and the Pharisees, how everything you see them say and do Don't say it and don't do it because they spoke one thing and lived another. They were hypocrites. May such a condemning statement never be said of our lives or our churches. Let us never live differently than the way we speak, but may the way we speak match the way we live and the way we live and the way we speak always bring glory to God and draw people closer to Him. Let's pray. Let's pray for God to help us to be salt, light, and a city on a hill, and let's pray for God to give us boldness to share our testimony as his witness. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the privilege to be filled with your spirit to carry this glorious gospel to our world around us. I pray, help us today to be salt, light, a city on a hill. Help us to be a witness for you. Give us the boldness and the courage we need to be able to share the gospel with as many people as possible. Use us for your glory, Lord. Help us not to live one way and speak another. Help us not to advertise one thing, but really possess another. May we be genuine. May we be pure in heart. Help us to be a godly witness for you and bring people closer to you through our witness. I ask you today, Lord Jesus, let our light so shine. We pray this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to click subscribe, follow, like, share, and the notify button so you'll never miss a chance whenever the episode drops. You'll be the first in line to be able to hear it. Also, share it with others so they can hear it as well. And head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. We're about to the fall season here at God's Word for Life. And so you'll be able to pick up all the curriculum from children all the way up to the adults and everything from a lesson guide to a devotional guide all the way up to a digital resource kit where you can watch videos and you can have all the images and graphics and door posters and decorations and all the good stuff, all of that, PentecostalPublishing.com. And if you use promo code GWFL10, GWFL10, you can receive 10% off your entire order at PentecostalPublishing.com. Next week, we continue our series on this Sermon on the Mount called Kingdom Living, and our episode next week is called Disciplines of a Disciple. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for life.
1: Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at pentecostalpublishing.com.